Am I starting or are you? I was just saying, that's me. Hey, how's it going? Sorry. It just, uh, it was giving me a weird little error message there for just a second. It threw me off. So, all right. Um, hi, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops. I am the host, but my guest is here and uh, returning guest, Matt Buckman. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Greetings and hello. <laughs> it's always a, it's always a pleasure to, to have you on the show. And, um, I've been looking forward to chatting. Of course, you know we 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 see each other fairly frequently now with with Nink and um, these episodes and things like that. We're able to catch up here and there. Um, but I'm always excited to talk to you because I was thinking about it earlier before we uh, got on this call. I was thinking about people that I know who are writerly, and like when I think of someone who is a writer, like almost as a lifestyle, you're 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 the person I think of. You're I think that huh. it's kind of like. Being a writer is in the top tier of things that define you. Does would it, does that fair? Do you think? Do you, do you can? Do you think that's fair? It absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, people say, "So, what are your hobbies?" Well, let's see. For twenty years, my hobby was writing, and now I've been a full time writer for eight years. Yeah. Oh, what's your hobby? Uh, it's still writing. <laughs> yeah. You're just okay, doing sixty hours. You're doing sixty well, hours a week. It's writing. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, I, I love the craft. I love the business. I love all those different aspects. And the system manager in me loves trying to piece it all together. And mm -hmm. It does give you a lot of hats to wear, this job. And yeah. it, it gives you plenty of room to grow and, and learn. There's so much to learn, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to craft. But when I think about writers that I know, like you're one of the ones that I know is into the craft, into the the lifestyle of being a writer too just sort of just and just um can geek out about the words you know and the writing yeah yeah and um not everyone does that not some people are in this for the business part some people are doing it more as a hobbyist you know um mm -hmm. but that was why i was it, i thought you were a good guest to have on to talk about the topic we have uh today which is author voice one of the topics we're going to discuss and because it's sort of this um amorphous idea that it, we have one we just yeah. don't know what it is and it, it's one of those things that you have to discover over time it's not you think like okay why well, of course this is my voice this is how i speak but that's not necessarily how you write or not necessarily how you should write um to be the best version of yourself as a writer um what's your definition of voice when it comes to author voice writer voice is the one thing that you can't hear hmm. It because it's when you're being your most authentic self. So if I'm writing something and I can hear the voice, the author's voice on the page, I know it's not mine. It's someone else's and I'm messing up. Mm. And um, I have a friend, Chris Rush, that whenever she finishes a book and she goes, oh, this book is flat. It's dead flat. That's the book. That's her voice. And everybody else eats it up. And it's that. And each time she comes out and says, oh, it's flat, it's like, there's the cue. So nice. how do, yeah, and it's a it's a really odd thing. It's because it sounds so much like me. It doesn't sound like I'm writing. It doesn't sound like, you know, Arthur C. Clarke or Nora Roberts or it sounds like me. Hmm. And I, I know me. I'm familiar with me. <laughs> you <Right>. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, where along the process do you think, because you've written, how many books have you written now? Uh. On Saturday, I finished number 63, oh, okay. and I've got 100 short stories and 
35 audiobooks, which is a different definition of voice. Yeah. Uh, is because I do my own audio. Where do you so. think along the way, I mean, at book number what, do you think you feel like you started to develop your voice to the point where you're like, okay, this is me, this is my style? And you did you settle into it at a certain point? I'm still looking for it. Mm. Um, but I think it's more a matter of I'm starting to recognize it. So I started out in science fiction. My first big sale was in romantic suspense. So there I am, military romantic suspense. The publisher wants more. My fan base started building. And I got really into military romantic suspense. And I went, okay, I want another leg on the stool. I want another piece to, you know, be more secure. And so I went over and I wrote contemporary romance, which I love it. The definition, it's romance in which nothing happens. (laughs) Right? There's no paranormal. There's no military. There's no, it's just about the love story. It's just about the story, yeah. Anyway, I got the same caliber of review. I got the same number of stars. And I got half the sales. Hmm. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was starting to get reviews on my military romances that said, this is almost a thriller or um, astonishing thriller. And it was like, no, no, it's a romance. <laughs> it's right down the core. Yeah. Has a couple on the cover and everything. And so I went out and I scraped all my reviews. So Amazon, you know, Kobo, Apple, I went out and scraped all the reviews I could find. And I put them in a word cloud. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so, of course, I got, you know, romance and hero and heroine. But I also got suspense and action and adventure. I was getting those thriller keywords very prominently in my romances. Hmm. And I'd written a couple of wacky romances before a series of foodie thrillers in my Dead Chef series. And I thought, okay, I've got this thriller voice that I can do that kind of pacing. I can. I love telling that kind of story where the complexities of it wind together so that the reader, and often me, don't even know where it's going until... Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to try this year. And I started about a year ago, and the first book came out in November. Um, and it was, let me just try plunging into Thriller and see what comes out and the reviews have been astonishing they're a level up definitely yeah and so and so that's telling me oh that's closer to my voice interesting and my and my first readers are going oh this is you this is so you (laughs) yeah and that's a fascinating tip as far as using the word cloud i know it's interesting now that amazon actually provides a review word cloud when you go to the reviews, they have a little cluster of words that are very commonly used in the reviews so that you can click on, oh, fast-paced, let me click on all the reviews that call it this, or, or even if it's negative things, whatever word cloud accumulates there, you can kind of find the reviews that say those things. But um, that's an interesting way to define your strengths and figure yeah. out what the readers think you're good at. And that gets us into the whole question of do you play to your strengths or your or fix your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. And writing is so varied. Find your strength and wallow in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
so that's what I'm doing over in thrillers right now. And I got publishers weekly saying Tom Clancy fans will clamor for more. Yeah. Hey, I never, you know, there you go. I've always gotten good <clears throat> reviews, but I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That's interesting. It plays off a couple of things that we've listened to recently on this show. Becca Slime was on the show uh, not too long ago. Uh, of course, she was a speaker at, at Nink, um, and she is a, a strengths coach. So she was very much into, yeah, dive into your strengths. Don't try to be, you know, mediocre at everything. Like if you fix all your weaknesses, you're still only average. You know I mean, like get into the things that you're excellent at and then become even more excellent, become memorable, become the person right. that people think of when they think of this thing. And because um, you want to stand out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished a book recently uh, today, this morning I was listening to it, um, Call Down the Hawk by Maggie Stiefvater. And I was frustrated by the book because she's one of these writers that doesn't really finish the book. Like it doesn't, you have to read the next book in the series to, to yeah. understand. Like the plot's going to take four books and I don't really, have, her first series the plot sort of wandered off anyway and I, I don't know that it ever really resolved that well. But it's a gorgeous, gorgeous writing. So her voice is very moody, very specific when it comes to characters. For example, there's a character, Ronan, who is just dangerous. Like his tattoos look dangerous. Like his, his pet bird is named Chainsaw. So like everything <laughs> about him is like going to cut you and hurt you kind of like a Lizbeth Salander character who's like prickly mm-hmm. you know, and like and like you you get into the world because she's so good at that specific thing of writing these moody characters who are fascinating that you almost don't care if the plot resolves because you'll pick up the next book anyway just for the gorgeous writing um, yeah. and just to live in that world again um, so she's she's doing that very well. But although she's one of those characters I wish would fix her plot issues. I wish she would yeah. go and like write a book that ends. Um, but it is, you know, it's part of the, that's a that's a strategy. That's one person's strategy. So okay, I'm not gonna end this. You're gonna have to buy the next one. So Yeah. But I mean you go to the Harry Bosch, you get that mm-hmm. I mean he's just the set master of setting. You get that lush southern, you know, bayou wanna yeah. peel it off after you've read the book. But yeah. You know, um, that's interesting. I know, like in the case of like Maggie's, she'll describe things at least three times, like in a row. Like she, she won't just use one adjective or you know adverb. She'll she'll layer it in, like so that you really get the picture. Uh, mm-hmm. and you'll have a, you'll know how it feels. You know how it looks. Then you also maybe feel like how the character you know touches. Like, you'll get so much sensory stuff going on in there, which is very different from what I write. I'm like, oh man, I have to describe something? Like, I'm too busy with all this action. Like, I just want to do stuff. I don't want yes. to describe things. <laughs> Same issue. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's interesting seeing what people's uh, strengths are when it comes to their voice and what, you know, how like in her case, it's moody and, and textural. Like, what do you think, so your voice, obviously, it's faster paced. So in Thriller, what are some of the things that people are looking for that they're saying, okay, this defines your why. Why thrillers for you now? What are some of the things they're saying? They're, um, it's not something they're not saying. Oh, you know, please write a thriller. Mm-hmm. They're. Res- I'm looking at how they respond, which I always find is much more accurate than asking questions. Mm, um, yeah. You know, you try to do a survey, and the reader reader's mind will tell you one thing, but they're buying another. Okay. Um, I did an experiment where I took all of my, I asked my uh, fans, I said, okay, my contemporary romance fans, 
you said you want to be able to give this to your mom or your daughter or your church friend or something, but there's sex in it. What if I made a sweet version? And 90% of the people on the survey, I got a thousand responses. Over 900 said, I would buy it in a heartbeat. Oh, please give. So I took a month and I took 16 contemporary romance titles and I turned them all into a sweet version. Oh, wow. I sold 200 copies in two years. Interesting. Of all 16 titles included. Interesting. Never ask. The, the fans don't know yeah. what they want. They like the idea. They like. So I was listening to how they responded to things. And so my Delta Force series was very, was even more action oriented than my Night Stalker series. And my sales went up in my Delta Force series. And so I was looking at the publishing numbers to try to find information on the audience, to try to find information on my own voice. Hmm. Because I'm not, I'm not writing to market. I don't, I write for a very specific reader, which happens to be my first reader. Um, and if I can make her laugh and if I can entertain her, that's my goal. And I figure everybody who's at all like her will be swept in. Yeah. Well, that's a so good, what I was, who's your first yeah, reader? My wife. Yeah. That's very, uh, it's very Stephen I, King. I've got, uh, I've got Stephen King's own writing sitting right here. So I'm like, oh, that's his first reader is his wife too. Yeah. And, um, and she's wonderful because she is giving me authentic reaction. And she's going, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> Fix this. I can't see this. Uh, but in trying to satisfy that reader, I'm satisfying every reader that's like her. Yeah. And every read and like me, because the first reader I'm really writing for is myself. Huh. And so I'm looking at the reaction of the audience to try to find more who I am. And I feel kind of cutting out there for a second. I'm not sure what's going on. Oh, looks like we maybe more attractive to the reader. Oh, okay. you cut out there just. Do for I a need second, to back up there? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you're saying. Um, okay. Yeah, you were talking about your reactions from your first reader and how they define your your process there. And there, yeah, and I'm looking for what's the closest to the way I am mm -hmm. as a, as a writer, what's that voice? Because that's going, the more authentic I can be, the more fans will follow. It's why I have one pen name. Yeah. I think that's, a, I've a, written a, in four genres, five good, genres. That's a good point to make is that you shouldn't try to go wander off and become a writer that you're not. Um, we can yeah. obviously be influenced and try to grow as writers and become better at the things that we are naturally good at um, and learn new skills, but we shouldn't try to be an inauthentic voice because it's not going to work. Yeah. And I'll, and that's what a lot of the writing to market people do. It's like, oh, fantasy is big this year. Oh, 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 now thriller. Oh, oh. And it's like, no, where's your voice? Mm -hmm. Where are the fans finding you? And I think part of the clue was years ago, years, four or five years ago, I went to my first writing conference in a decade. I'd been kind of hiding and um, been broke for a while in there, but the writing career was taking off and I went to a conference and I was at a signing and the first fan who walked up to me said, I've read everything you've written. And I was wow. like, 
And I had just made this cute little trifold catalog. So I put it out in front of her and I said, oh, really? And she looked down at the catalog and she said, yes. So, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Next person in line comes up and says, I've read everything you've ever written. I learned, I said, you know, would you like to make sure? And I, this is a brand new catalog. And she looked at it and she said, I had trouble getting into the science fiction, but I read everything else. Huh. They're reading for voice. That's what they like. So those super fans, I want super fans who are going to read my whole catalog. Yeah. And they're, they're looking they're for voice. They're investing in you. Yeah. Not just the story. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. And I think that's... Um, when I think about it, for example, um, like with the Maggie Seapotter books I've been reading, like I'll read her stuff but definitely for voice. She's an example of someone I read for voice because I just want to get into the mood. I just want to hear her use pretty language and describe interesting characters. What they do in the story may or may not be satisfying. It's fun. It's sort of some magic in there. But I'm not really a fantasy read. I'm not. That's not my go-to genre necessarily. Um, I'm very much reading for the author in that scenario. Whereas yeah. the rest of the time, I'm probably more of a, oh, I want to read time travel or oh, I want to read action adventure or something. Um, so yeah, it's, you fall into this little subcategory of readers that every author probably has who just doesn't matter. Just give me the book. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. your, your name's on it. Therefore I want it. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I think that's a very powerful thing to uh, grow. Mm -hmm. What are so, so you 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 found these readers already? Uh, what's your relationship with them like? Like your ongoing relationship? Um, yeah, that's a funny question. I contact. I try to do things for them. So, for example, for six years now, I've almost six years. I've given them a free short story on the fourteenth of every month. Mm. Come to my website, read a free short story. It might be science fiction, it might be romantic suspense, it, it can be all over the place, but it's a free short story. Nice. Uh, which is part of how I built up 100 short stories, is I've done 72 of them free once a month for a week. And then, of course, I take them off uh, free, and they start to sell. Hmm. I actually make a third of my income from short fiction, yeah. which is... I know really we talked fun. about that a little bit last episode, which is fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it's not something that you hear many people doing. Yep, and I've talked about it, and I've had a couple people try it, and then it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I hit some tone right, or if they aren't trying it right, or something. Or just your overall um, consistency over time, maybe just... I built know, up the built audience. Up the audience that way. Um, yeah, the, fir the first story was read by 100 people. And now it's read by about three or four thousand each yeah. month. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I try to be really consistent in how I communicate with them. But like I just figured out <laughs> little slow. I just figured out that one of the things that I've always been and always done, I've put up different blogs and they've all died and I threw them out, gone back in and deleted some of them. They were so stupid. Um, but my, my fans read because I'm a nerd. Part of the reason they read is I put in all the weird little factoids. Yeah. I love the weird little factoids yeah. and I, I'll do a ton of research to get a line right. 
I research about an hour for every two and a half hours of writing. Mm. So I'm in there, you know, is this the gun they're holding? Is this the way, how much does gasoline weigh versus jet A fuel versus water? And I will talk about that in the story. Um, that gas weighs about six pounds, in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> Compared yeah. to about eight gallons, eight gallons, or uh, eight pounds per, per one. That's something that as a pilot I can answer for you. <laughs> yeah. But it's a pound uh, and a quarter lighter than water. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, which is why you can drain the water out the bottom of the wing. Uh, sorry, pilot thing. Um, but see, I'm a nerd I, too. I just started. A, yeah, I just started a blog <laughs> of Nerd Guy Fridays. Nice. And it's like here's weird little things that I nerded out on, and the fans are going, "Oh, this is cool!" After all these years of dead blogs that I put up. So I'm trying to find ways to engage the fans and keep them interested, to keep my name engaged in their brain. And, and, and you're the, repurposing your research, which is brilliant. You're yeah. taking that information and then just putting it somewhere else that also feeds into your business. And I'm sure you've listened to Joanna Penn talk about content marketing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she has this content marketing machine for nonfiction. Yeah. And she keeps asking, how do you do content marketing for fiction and i told her about nerd guy fridays and she went there that's yeah. you know because it relates directly to my books and i can sit there and say in this book the reason i wrote this line is because of this chunk of research and, and, it, and it taps into one of those ids i don't know if um you were in the the talk um J uh, jennifer barnes talk on like the the ids of storytelling and why we even yeah. read in the first place but it taps into one of those psychological reasons why people read in the first place which is just to learn things um that they didn't know before and not yeah. but in an entertaining way they don't want to just sit down and read a textbook of facts necessarily but they if they can get it from a story and feel like they've come out of the situation smarter as a result yeah. it satisfies this innate thing that oh this was productive time this was time well spent because I learned something because I read Red Matt's book. I'm going to read another one and I'm going to get a little bit smarter. Yeah, which is what I'm doing for myself anyway. So again, it's who's the first reader. Mm -hmm. Let my inner nerd come out. My wife mm -hmm. said that to me for years before I finally let my inner nerd come out. Yeah. Because I was trying to write what I thought people wanted. And yeah. it's like, no, you, you write what you write and people will find it. Right. Yeah, because you've got to find your people. Like, I think so many of us fall into this trap of thinking everyone should read our books. And they shouldn't. No. Our books aren't for everybody. They're for our people. And yeah. it's just a matter of, like, the more specific you can get, the more clearly you can define your author, your author voice, the easier it is for your people to recognize you and say, oh, this is the banner I want to follow. You know, exactly. we're all going to rally exactly. up behind this one because he's like us. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah, it's so much easier that way when you are a little bit more clearly defined into what, what you stand for and what you, you know, nerd out about in right. this case. And of course, then what you can do is you can take that and proceed to do your best to destroy it, which is what I basically did for five or six years. At one time, I was writing 19 distinct series. Wow. I was yeah. writing... 11 novel series and eight short story series. So I'm a fan of everything. Great. I'm a fan of the firefighting smoke jumpers. 
oh, but you have to wait another year and a half for the next book in that series. Yeah. Oh, you had, <laughs> what was I thinking? So I was taking, you know, my, my super loyal fans, great. The super fans are happy. And the whole next year fans are going, who, what, where, yeah. why, <laughs> why? Yeah. And the, and the other thing was I was listening to uh, Lindsay Broker talk on uh, Mark LeFay's show a, about a year or so ago. And she said, yeah, I was doing only two series at a time, but I was alternating them. So I was doing this, book one, book one, book two, book two. And she said the time to get back into the world to write the next book in the series that she had left two books before yeah. was brutal. And it was. I was having to reread two, three, four books each time I jumped a series. Mm -hmm. And um, so 2020 is the year of focus, and I'm going to focus on my thrillers for a while, and I'm going to focus on two short story series. And then I'm after I finish my first four thrillers, I'll look at, gee, how are they doing, or do I want to do something else, or... Yeah. But I'm gonna. It's I'm gonna methodically. I love writing all of it. That's my issue. Yeah. Shiny object. Shiny object. Shiny object. I am object. guilty of the same thing. I have three series. I've already built this devoted fan following of time travel readers who want to nerd out about time travel stuff, and I've given them four books and a novella. Um, but I've got these two other series started that they're not. That's not their 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 jam, you know. I mean, they don't necessarily want to shift onto that track, even though that's where I'm riding. Um, so I think they're all just sitting there, biding their time, waiting for the next time travel book. And I'm having to find an entirely new audience for these other um, other series. But it's not the most productive business strategy because here's all these people already waiting for you. But you've already gone through the effort of finding all these people who love one thing and. They've signed on, and they're just waiting for you to release the next book. How and that was that was one of the hardest decisions in deciding to go to Thriller and follow all those pointers that were saying, your voice is here, was I have a whole raft of friend, fans who want the next romance. Mm -hmm. They And yeah, my thrillers are character-driven, but they're still thrillers at the core. Mm -hmm. And... You know, they want the next romance, and I'm sorry, they're not going to get one for a little while. <laughs> How do you balance that? Like, your creative side is, okay, here's, you're the first reader. You're the one who wants to read what you're writing the most. Um, when you have a conflict of, like, I know I should be writing this book. This is the book that makes the most sense based on what the readers want, based on what my business needs, but it's not the thing I want to write right now. How do you get over that hump creatively and, and like, just settle in to write this thing that maybe it's not on the forefront of your mind? Um, I play a game. I, there are two hats. I actually wrote about this in my first nonfiction book, uh, managing your inner writer. And what it is, my, my theory is my inner writer gets really excited about something and it says, I, I have this new idea, which it does all the time. It gets half a day. And in half a day, it gets to write character sketches, plot outlines, the first scene, whatever it wants, which is basically a proposal, which is then handed over to my publisher. Okay. So now the publisher goes, put on the business hat. Wouldn't it be nice if we had another book in this series right now? And it flips through all these proposals that the writer created in half a day each. And it mm -hmm. goes, 
writer, remember this one? Remember this one? It wasn't it fun? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it, and the writer opens it up and there's character sketches and there's already the first scene. They can just keep writing. Okay. And so I actually play that mental game with myself of the writers, the little excited kid who just wants to sit here and play. Yeah. And the publisher goes, yeah, I'm going to manage you a little bit, but in a way that's really friendly. <laughs> yeah. And be nice to yourself as the publisher. Uh, yeah, because if, if you tell your inner writer, no, you're going to, if I had to write another romantic suspense today, I would shoot myself. Hmm, I wrote 50 of them in a row. And now I, there are two that I really want to write. My inner, inner writer really wants to write, but not yet. They're, yeah. they're kind of, maybe over the summer, I'll write those couple books. I'm dealing with that right now. My publisher side of me put up the pre-order for the next book in the series that I just released before I had released it. So it was just like, it came out at the same time. So I'm, I'm locked in. I got to write that book. I've got a two book deal with my publisher side of myself because the, I, the, and it's working because I'm writing the book and it's getting done. Um, and I'm excited about it now. Whereas before the little butterfly, I would have chased off and wandered off and, and started a whole new series. Um, cause the creative side of me was like, Ooh, Ooh, shiny thing, shiny thing. Ooh, I want to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. what about this one? What about this genre? And the publisher side of me is like keeping me in check by having this pre-order date looming. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, you kind of have to keep yourself a little tough love sometimes. James uh, Rousseau comment. He says, "Morning guys, great show, really great info. What do you think was the hardest part about jumping genres?" The single hardest thing was daring to do it hmm. because I had. I have a running career. I have, if I release a romantic suspense, military romantic suspense, I will make X. Mm. And it will sell this many to this many fans. But that was another thing. My number of fans had plateaued. I wasn't getting a high rate of new fans. So that was information to me that I either had to change my marketing or my writing and I was getting all these cues. The answer was over in the writing, but the terror, I spent six months going, do we dare make this business decision Mm -hmm. for me to take half a year and see if the thrillers will work? Yeah. It's gambling. That's a publisher side. You're taking a risk. You're saying, yeah, I'm going to bet on this. I'm going to put some money down and time and energy in this case on this book series, this proposal from this author and I'm going to hope it works, and I'm going to pray that, that this, this gamble pays off in the end. And um, I know I kind of lost you there again for a second, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is gambling. It's, it's, as the publisher, you're risking, you got some skin in yeah. the game. Yeah, and so that was 90% of, how, of what was hard. The part of switching over and starting a new series, and as a writer in that thriller, Oh, my writer was so happy. It's like new field to play in. Yeah. And um, now what was really hard for the writer, again, much easier than the business side, was a thriller is a very unique beast. It has a pace and a drive and you need to be connecting multiple voices and multiple threads. And in a romance, you kind of have the hero and the heroine. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I've got six or seven points of view that I have to find a way to keep straight for the reader mm-hmm. and three or four or five threads of action. 
normally you have two people. So the most number of threads of action you're likely to get is when they're apart, two. Yeah. And suddenly I've got this portion of the team over there and this one under threat. And it's just learning how to manipulate the words to achieve what was in my head. Yeah, I, I, went, I had a struggle with that a little bit when I went from writing a first-person point of view present tense series where I really only ever saw everything through the main character's eyes to switching to third-person you know, past tense where I could do whatever I wanted and have all these different character arcs. And it was definitely interesting because you've got to have a satisfying conclusion for these individual arcs and you know, you can't lose track of one and just sort of you know, let them wander off. Like the, the reader expects setups to be paid off. And yeah. you don't want the the book to balloon into this massive thing that you know gets out of control. So um, there's definitely well, a- my my new series is based on fifty thousand words per novel. Mm. The shortest one so far has been seventy three. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. It's current a- one's going to crack eighty. Yeah. James says, yeah, he's in the same boat switching from military thrillers to military sci-fi, and it's a different audience. And I think you've got to kind of commit to that. Okay, yeah, this is going to be a build-up. You know, this is going to be a slow, just change tracks and just assume you've got nobody at the beginning, and then other than your diehard readers who read everything. Yeah, you will get carryover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually pleased at the rate of my carryover. I definitely have people, though, who won't buy. And But I think one of the important things is your branding has to be absolutely clear, especially because mm-hmm. I write under one pen name. Yeah. And the reason I do one pen name is the people who are buying for voice. I want them to go to the author brand of Matt's voice. But my branding is, you know, Drone and uh, Condor and Thunderbolt are pure military thriller covers. Whereas the military romantic suspense has a very different look. I would imagine in James's case, if he's going from, I've seen the covers, he's been on the show and we've seen the covers for his military thrillers. Um, I would imagine that he really needs to step up the sci-fi element on the cover design to switch to military sci-fi to, to be very clear right out of the gate. This is a sci-fi book. Um, yeah. I would imagine that would be essential for satisfying um, readers of that genre. Just be giving a very clear sign of what you're going to get. That way you don't get those negative reviews saying, oh, I thought this was going to be a military thriller book, and I'm I'm totally not into sci-fi. This is far-fetched. I'm not taking that yeah. you know. And, so, <clears throat> and some of the cues can be very subtle. I, I, my name is in a different font in each of the genres. Mm. It's still M.L. Buckman across the top. Yeah. But it changes its look a little bit, and the you know contemporary romance gets a little striped banner across the bottom for the series name to tuck into, yeah. Whereas the thriller doesn't. Yeah, I think that's very, um, very so, smart you know, to have those visual clues, and and a lot of people overlook the importance of font and typeface design oh, when it comes. I to spend your most of my time on that. Title. Yeah, and that's um, yeah, it is a very clear indicator. Of, of genre as well because obviously certain types of thrillers for example it's more common for the author name to be big on a thriller yeah. um, that's just part of what it is like other people that write thrillers the big names have their names in big lettering whereas mm-hmm. it may not be that big a thing in, in uh, urban fantasy for example something like that like it may be yeah. you might be focusing on your title or contemporary 
romance, yeah. you know, has a nice flow. Yeah, uh, it looks flowy. Yeah. It looks romantic. So It's romantic. Yeah. Um, I was never one of those people that really geeked out about fonts at all. Um, but I am learning how incredibly important they are. And there are people who will get into very heated conversations about proper fonts for proper things if you let them. <laughs> yeah. And then they get into fights about, oh, no, that's a two-year-old font. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it is, honestly, it is one way to tell. I mean, you can tell a self-published book cover, um, especially the amateur ones, based on the fact that they're, you know, you're just throwing up some, like, lowercase Times New Roman on the front of this thing. And it's a very clear sign of amateurism. Like, you're saying this yeah. is not a professional cover design. And you you have to understand that how you design your cover is a, is going to send off signals. And color scheme, I mean, if you look at these military sci-fi, you know, um, space opera type stuff, it's a lot of gold and blue for some reason. I don't know why gold and blue works, but it does. Like, gold lettering and it's, blue space. It's that high-tech. High yeah, and planets. I mean, there's very specific things that you've got to study about your genre and get right. And it, a lot of it comes down to individual things like color and typeface which yeah you know it pays to to pay attention to uh margaret lashley's watching she asks how do you brand your author self over different genres if you change fonts is it an overall layout so what about your author branding across the board the author branding there are a couple of things i do i do change the font but it's always ml buckman it's never ml buckman so I don't stack the ML, which I did early on, but I took that away. So it's always a single strike across. Mm. I do change the font. Um, but there's also, because I designed my own covers, except for the uh, 13 that were traditionally published, I there's a look to my design eye. And it's not a very educated or good design eye, but I'm, it's getting better. <laughs> but there's um, there's a look and a style to the way that's built, which I'm very careful not to mess with. Mm -hmm. I actually, once I got some skill up around a dozen covers, I went in and redid all the covers to that point. Mm -hmm. Just to try to make it more coherent. Yeah. And if I finish a series... Some, some of those series took me three, four years, even though they were only four books, because I was doing so many. Yeah. I would go in and redesign the whole group of covers yeah. to, to get them all updated to a common series look and then a common genre look. And I spent a lot of time standing in, you know, Fred Meyer and Safeway and Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. Actually, the smaller collections are easier. And you look at, okay, this is science fiction. What is different between this group of covers and right here next to it, the thriller covers. Yeah. And this group right here of the romance covers. And I would look at what are the elements that are changing? What are the elements that are staying the same? Mm -hmm. I explain this a lot to new authors when I sit down. Sometimes people will want me to sit down and have lunch with them and, and explain publishing stuff to them. And I always start there and I said, like, when you're sitting at the grocery store, first off, you're only going to see a couple genres you're probably not even going to see sci-fi most of the time you're going to see unless it's a major bestseller you're probably going to see romance and you're going to see thrillers because those are the biggest players and then the romance books you're going to see a lot of like regency romance where it's like girl in a ball gown with like off the shoulder slightly drooping you know 
uh, bare skin with, and it's either a duke or a prince or a whatever. It doesn't matter. The author names are all the diff all different, but it's still more or less a similar looking girl in a similar looking dress in a similar looking embrace. Like it doesn't matter that they're a different book. It doesn't matter that they're a different author. Like they look like you could pick up one, enjoy it. You know what you're getting. Immediately pick up the next one, and with seamlessly. Like it's author branding across the genre. Like in this case, like in this case, there's they're very specifically fitting in is their brand. Um, if they're not trying to stand out and be different, they're trying to blend in so well that you could just be the next thing that the person picks up, which is another strategy, yeah. uh, depending on your genre. Yeah, trying to stand out. If you're going to do it, you have to do it really intelligently. Mm -hmm. You can pick out a Janet Ivanovich cover across the store. Mm -hmm. You know, one for the, was she the yeah the she one for this the two for that or something like that yeah. yeah. But but the the way she did the color blocking and the yeah. it's just no question you know that's her book from across the and um, the Lee Childs are getting that way because Lee Child is so well known mm -hmm. that it's just his name is this big and you have to look for where's the where's the title yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um, but if you're gonna break out of genre you have to have something that still says this is unique and special yeah. so significantly that it's almost impossible to pull off. But in this case, I feel like the thing that they have broken out with is their voice. They have decided, okay. they have grown. What they have done is they have grown the group of people who will read anything that they put out. And they yeah. have, and the way they do that, obviously, is through voice. So they've focused in on it. They've developed something that people people know that they're going to get a popcorn you know, read with Janet Ivanovich. It's not going to take that long. It's going to have the same quirky characters and the same funny grandma. You're going to go in for a laugh. She's not going to pick a boyfriend. She's, it's going to go on forever, you know, that she is indecisive about. But you're going to have a fun adventure. And, like, people buy into it. Like, they're just, like, they're they're 100% there for it. Um, yeah. Same with Lee Child. And, like, at that point, you can put your name gigantic across the cover because it's the only thing, it's the only main signal that people need at that point. Right. Um, but you can't just start out as an amateur and just blast your name across the front and expect there to be, you know, anyone following. You've got to develop it with voice first, which I think is, yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's yeah. important to have that conversation because it doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. No, no. It's, uh, I've talked to a lot of people <laughs> about voice and, and trying to find what is your voice. And it's like, you've got to get out of your own way. Mm. You've got to stop thinking it's something you can implement on your writing mm -hmm. oh. it's a more of a discovery of like i said over time we're going to figure it out based on like the reviews i think was a great tip like mining word mining your your word cloud there for for what people think of you um i think is, is an important strategy and yeah and playing those strengths I, th I think that was an excellent tip as well of just you know playing to your strengths and not your weaknesses um i think that obviously there is some room as an amateur to fix the things that are wrong i don't think that you should just you know continue to do things wrong when you when you see that they've you've been called out but i do think it is important to focus on the positive also just from your own mental health strategy because mining through reviews can sometimes be a daunting process when you get the stinker and you're just i didn't like, read any reviews uh, no you didn't read any of them no i had somebody else scrape them into a word document mm. and i took the word document and plugged it into word cloud 
Interesting. So I didn't read. No, I don't read my reviews. Yeah. If it if it's a you know editorial review from a professional reviewer, and it's got a good pull quote, okay, you know I'll yeah. go in and pull that pull quote. But for the most part, no, don't read your reviews. Interesting. And yeah. the, the 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 what's weird is the good ones can screw you up just as much. Mm. I was writing. Uh, oh, this was in like 2014. And I had just turned in a book to my editor, and she was finally caught up, and I was sitting down to write the next in that series. And she called me up, and she said, oh, my God, this is the best book you've written yet. Oh, wow. I'm staring at a blank white page. Oh, no. So yeah. write the next book in the series. It took me forever to write that sucker because I was trying to live up to the standard of this other book. Yeah. And you can't. You ha each book has to be its own thing. And and the early mistakes, I don't think of them as mistakes. It's we watched J.K. Rowling learn how to write in public. Mm -hmm. You know, you go back and you read Sorcerer's Stone; it's pretty clunky. The piece, of, the characterization in the world is wonderful. The writing is really clunky. By the time you get up to Deathly Hallows, she's got it down. She showed us her learning to write in public. Yeah. And, you know, my first books still go out and sell occasionally. Uh, a couple of them I try not to admit to, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a, a certain courage that you have to have to be a willingness oh, yeah. to say, yeah, I'm going to put myself out there. Yeah. In 10 years, will I still love this book? Maybe not as much, but it's you have to love the process. And you have yeah. to love the craft, and you only get better at a craft by doing. Um, I, I, another thing I frequently tell new authors, like your first couple books are probably going to stink. Your third book might be great, but there's no way to write book three without writing books one and two. Like there's no shortcut. Yeah. You can't skip to book three. Um, yeah. It's just not how math works. <laughs> it's not how writing I, works either. I could not have finished. I could not have written the book I just finished without having written five thrillers before it and 55 other books. Mm -hmm. I could not have pulled this off. You know, uh, Stephen King talks about it in On Writing. Mm -hmm. He came up with the idea of Dark Tower at 19. And I'm not a big fan of Dark Tower, but he knew he couldn't write it yet. Yeah. And he waited 30 odd years before he felt he had finally built up the skill to take that image that had been in his head and turn it into the dark tower. Yeah. And um, it's important to be able to recognize that. I know my first book that I wanted to write ended up being my fourth book, I think, because for that same reason, I wasn't ready. I wasn't a good enough writer to, to tackle it yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Matt, this has been an excellent discussion. Um, we blazed past the half hour mark as expected because uh, oh. <laughs> we always do as when we're chatting because we can you know get into these topics and, and um, really delve into them but um, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to be here on the show today and discuss this topic because it's, it's always a blast to have you on absolutely yeah. much fun and uh, to find out more about me just go to mlbuckman b-u-c-h-m-a-n dot com or yeah. twitter or facebook it's all ML Buckman. and we get a free short story on the 14th right 14th of every month all right yeah, that's a great deal. I think it's I think it's a a great tool that you um, use to to hook people into your writing, and obviously you've been doing it for a long time, so I'm sure the stories are pretty good. 
um, yeah, so that's a, that's a great, great tip. So Emma Buckman, um, and um, like I said, thank you everyone for watching. I see Ken Robbins watching. Thank you, uh, James and, and Margaret, for your for your questions. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone again uh, next episode. So so long. Take care.